This episode of Continuing Mission is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome everyone to another episode of Continuing Mission, our look at the ways in which fans are keeping Star Trek alive. I'm your host, Christopher Jones. The primary focus of this show is a fan series and films, but this week we're returning to the world of games. While watching Star Trek and New Incarnations is fun, exploring the Star Trek universe through interactive adventures is also a popular way to continue the missions of our favorite crews. A new game in development from Disruptor Beam, which is the company that brought us Game of Thrones Ascent, will transport players into the Star Trek universe. The game is titled Star Trek Timelines, and it's a free-to-play title that will span desktop and mobile devices, as well as all of the time periods we've seen on screen. Now, the game isn't available yet, it's still in development, but today I'm joined by Timothy Crosby, lead game designer on Star Trek Timelines, to learn more about the genesis of the game, how it differs from others that we've played in the past, and what players can expect as they take to the stars. Tim, welcome to Continuing Mission. Thanks for setting some time aside for me tonight to talk about Star Trek timelines. And I understand you've got a little cadet there with you, so we might hear her making a few noises from time to time. Indeed. Uh, Thanks for having me. We're going to talk today about the game that you guys there at Disruptor Beam are developing called Star Trek Timelines. But before we talk about the game, I like to find out a little bit about those developing these games and their background with Star Trek and have you been a Star Trek fan for most of your life or did you get into it later on or are you just a game developer that wasn't into Star Trek before this? We were all Star Trek fans before. Uh, I think we all watched Star Trek in various incarnations when it was airing. We all have different favorite series, but we really all wanted to do a Star Trek game. Oh, yeah. Well, what is your favorite series? Uh, So I really grew up with Next Generation, and so that's sort of my first exposure. So that ends up being my favorite, but uh, I like them all, actually. So as the lead game developer and you being a TNG guy, is that why on the Disruptor Beam website, there's a giant Enterprise D as the ship that we see? It was actually that we did a little bit of asking fans what their favorite and what the most recognizable was. And it turns out that the Enterprise D and uh, Captain Picard and the Next Generation stuff is actually yeah. the thing that's currently the most recognizable among fans. Yeah, I agree. That, that that show has the widest appeal, I think, to the general audience, for sure. Do you remember when you first got into Star Trek? For me, it was around age five, I think, and it was TOS because there was no TNG back then. Do you remember your first Star Trek experience? I don't remember my very first Star Trek experience, although I do remember that I would was really into watching TNG when I was about 12. Like I can remember that's when my fandom really started. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and then continued throughout the rest of the run of TNG. Well, let me ask you another question because you're developing a game here. Are you one of those fans that got into TNG and you read the technical manual and you really dug into like every bit of information you could find out about the technology in universe? I dug in a little bit. I had, I got the Klingon dictionary uh, at the time. Oh, okay. Uh, although my understanding is that my accent was just atrocious uh, <laughs> and I, I have no head for languages, so it didn't do me much good. Did, so I didn't get too into the uh, warp field dynamics or things like that at the time. Although now that we're working on the game, uh, I have been getting into that much, much more deeply. All right. It seems like something that would probably be useful in a game like this, but we'll find out as we go along and, and we get into the gameplay a little bit. Also, before we get into the gameplay, tell me a little bit about Disruptor Beam. Uh, a lot of game companies these days, especially on mobile devices, produce a wide range of what I think of as simple games, like puzzles and platformers. Not that they're necessarily simple to create, but they're the things that you can play in short bursts, as opposed to console games in the past or PC games. But you guys are focused on giving television and literary fans new ways to explore the franchises that we love. So how did this focus come about and how did the company come about? We started initially thinking uh, about social games and mobile games in a different way. We wanted to have this very story-based, very character-based uh, approach to it, both as a way to differentiate ourselves from other games, but also because we saw that other games weren't doing it and we thought it would be a good idea. Yeah, I, I like the idea. I mean, I like my games where I can just pick them up and play for two minutes. Like if I'm waiting for the train, I can pop in and I can quickly go out of it because, you know, I don't have time to save if I have to jump on the train. So I want to be able to just, boom, and my device is off. But when it comes to Star Trek games, I really do want that, that more story-driven and character-driven experience. Well, the hope, I think, is that we'll be able to do a little bit of both and allow people to play the game in whatever works for their schedule. Uh, so if you want to play it in short bursts, that's fine. If you want to spend uh, a longer period of time in the game, we'll accommodate that as well. Obviously, it's still early in the development cycle. But that's certainly one of our goals. So that's interesting. So it sounds like there are multi- facets to this game. So if I asked you to tell me in one sentence, what is Timelines? How would you describe the game? Uh, Star Trek Timelines is a game of exploration and creating the best crew and starship you can while exploring a vast galaxy on whatever device you want and while interacting with your friends. That's maybe a little bit of a run-on sentence. <laughs> That's what everyone always, they have a, a long sentence like that, but that works. You got some punctuation in there. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, okay. Insert the appropriate uh, semicolons in there. Right, exactly. And a couple of M dashes as well. So, Well, tell me about the genesis of the game. How did this come about? Did you guys have the idea and then you went to CBS and you said, hey, we want to make a Star Trek game and we're doing this other Game of Thrones game here. Uh, can we talk about licensing or did CBS come to you guys looking for those who want to make a game, which was the case with Trexels, I know? 
Well, the some of that is a little bit murky to me because that was work uh, before I was really onto the project. There's you know all mm. these business development meetings, which are uh-huh. wonderful and great, I and mean, I'm glad that I don't necessarily have to deal with them. <laughs> right. But uh, for us, I it was mostly that we wanted to make this game uh, uh-huh. and were contacting CBS uh, to try to make it. And the success we've had with Game of Thrones Ascent and the care we took with that property and really make, setting that well in the world of Westeros, I think is what gave us uh, some of the credibility to really be able to talk to them uh, and show them that we were going to treat Star Trek with the reverence it deserves. Which is the key, right? So with how did the basic premise from your side come up? So you guys got together, you wanted to make a Star Trek game, and then you went and talked to CBS. When did you become involved in the project personally? What stage was it in? And then what was the, how did you come up with the basic premise and then flesh that out into something that you could then go and show them as the concept that you wanted to create? I got involved once they uh, had started, we had actually started the conversation with CBS and okay. sort of in the process of making sure that we liked them and they liked us. But, you know, any sort of deal like this really has to have both sides feel like they can work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the big things where I was getting involved was we said, well, you know, we want to do Star Trek and what aspects of Star Trek can we have access to? And when they said, well, essentially any era of Star Trek, and we're talking, you know, original series, Enterprise, up through uh, Next Generation and Voyager and DS9. And when they said that we could have access to all of that, that's the point at which I sort of got on the project and I said, great, how can we make that work? And the fact that we could have all of these different characters and all of these different uh, times and locations and all this great stuff, that's how we started to approach what we were going to do in terms of making the plot of the game and making all of that gel together. So it's a big challenge, right, to combine all these time periods. Though for me, I always look... A lot of fans don't like one series or the other, and you even see arguments arise sometimes between fans of different Star Trek series, whereas for me, I see it all as one long story, and these are just chapters. Um, many people I know who who feel the same way have described it as books on a shelf. You know, here's the TOS book, here's the TNG book, but it's all one big thing, and it all flows fairly well on the timeline. And of course, the name of your game is Timelines. So are we going to see mixing of the timelines in this game or are you going to be able to jump into specific time periods like the 23rd century or the 24th century and just play within that little uh, moment in time? Well, first of all, I want to say that I am much more of the opinion that these are all one big long story. I would agree with that. And hopefully in bringing together all of these different eras of Star Trek, we're able to satisfy whatever favorite era is you, you have. Uh, and if you don't like one of them, I, I mean, my feeling is if you don't like one of them, it's not that you don't really not like it. It's just you don't like it as much as your other, your real favorite, favorite era, um, which I, I hope is correct. Uh, that's certainly the case yeah. for me. 
Or it tends to be characters, I think, too, is what a lot of people latch on to. Yes. And, and, and I think there's really great characters regardless of the era. But for, the, for how we're approaching the, how we're mixing them, one of the great blessings of Star Trek and the way we can approach this is that time is somewhat stretchy and somewhat fluid in Star Trek. Uh, this mm-hmm. is not a, a rigid, forward-moving times arrow. And so we're setting this in the period after Voyager, shortly after Nemesis, and something has gone wrong with the timeline, which is mixing all of these eras together. I hate it when that happens. You know, <laughs> as if I had to live through it, I'd hate it. But as a, as a as a designer and as a viewer, man, do I love it? Yeah, it's fine, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, uh, some of my favorite uh, elements in Star Trek, uh, for example, the episode where Scotty um, meets with the Enterprise D. I really love that mm-hmm. episode because you really see that worldviews, those two, those two worldviews, the original series and the next generation really rubbing up against each other. And you see how they're different and how they approach things in the same way or in different ways. And that's some of the magic we're hoping to capture. Absolutely. Very cool. So let's talk about the gameplay itself a little bit. What can you tell us? I know you said it's still early stages of development, so the game is is not ready to play per se yet. But how how does this game differ from some of the other ones that we've seen? So obviously it differs from something like Star Trek Rivals, which is a card game. We have Star Trek Trexels out there now, which is an 8-bit game, but you do go on adventures. And we have Star Trek Online. We have uh, Star Trek Infinite Space, which was a game that was deep in development before it was canceled by GameForge about a year or two ago. And then many of us remember the great PC-based games uh, that usually focused on the original series, but there were some TNG ones and some DS9 ones as well. So how does this game differ from some things we've seen in the past? The big thing that we wanted to do is we wanted to capture some of the Star Trek ideas that any given challenge or any given problem may be solved not only with phasers firing and combat prowess, but also with science and medical knowledge or with command and diplomacy. And so the gameplay itself, as you said, it's it's early on, but uh, the one of the big things we're trying to do here is to allow you to construct your away team such that you can approach the problem in the way you want to approach it. So someone who wants to be really investigating things and and discovering, figuring out the puzzles, they'll be able to do that. And someone who wants to act as sort of a negotiator or a mediator or be using their crew's special abilities in the best way, uh, they'll be able to do that. And some of the previous Star Trek games, I think, have done a great job sort of capturing that feeling as well. And we're going to be hopefully among people's favorite Star Trek games as well. So it feels like you've done a lot of observation of past games and how players interact with them. Because I think about Star Trek Online, 
which initially very much was combat oriented. I mean, you can build your ship and, and things like that, but later on they added diplomatic missions because they realized that Star Trek fans, not all Star Trek fans, want to fly around and have space battles. Just, you know, I don't. I would rather go on diplomatic missions. So it sounds like you, you've been able to refine your focus a bit from watching what others have done in the past. It's watching what other games have done, but more than that, it's really looking deeply at the sort of canon material, watching mm-hmm. all of the episodes uh, and the movies and making sure that our gameplay and our vision is consistent with that. So you personally, as the designer, when you look at Star Trek and when you want to play a Star Trek game, are you more inclined towards the diplomatic mission side of it yourself? Uh, I always want to, me personally, I always want to solve things as scientifically as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the exploration aspect and the discovery and the hidden bits of lore that happen. You don't mean the arms, legs, and head of Data's brother lore, right? No, no. <laughs> I, I <laughs> those mean, missing bits. <laughs> although, although I do like those as well. Um, <laughs> yes, I need to be careful, careful with that. I need to be careful of words like lore or if I ever say before, same problem there. <laughs> right. So I like open world games myself. And from what you're describing here, it sounds like this game is not going to just simply be pulling you through a story that's been established. Like Final Fantasy is an example. I remember here when Final Fantasy 13 came out and the game on PlayStation here in Japan, it was like equivalent in dollars of about $109, I believe. But within two weeks, you could buy it for equivalent of $15 in all the game shops secondhand because people played it straight through and it's such a linear story and you just get there and you're done. And I think that kind of game doesn't appeal to me so much because I like to explore like you're describing here. Of course, creating a completely open world like The Legend of Zelda, that's very challenging as well. How are you striking a balance between letting us you know, having a structured story for us to follow, but also being able to explore the vastness of space like we would expect in a Star Trek world. Well, we've got a, or we will, we're in the process of building a very strong trunk, uh, sort of a main story. Uh, So you will be able to play a strong main story in the game. Being an online game, we're going to be adding to that continuously. So uh, we, you may be able to reach the current end, but if you wait a little bit, there's going to be some more story for you. And we'll be updating that regularly. We've had some good success in doing that in Game of Thrones Ascent. Uh, and it looks like we're on a good track to be able to do that with Star Trek Timelines as well. So there's going to be a main story. There'll also be sort of side stories or side missions to expand that. A little bit and then there will be an exploration aspect uh, which maybe is somewhat less story heavy but does let you find new systems and new planets and things like that uh, throughout the galaxy and again you'll be traveling your starship to do that so you may need to upgrade your starship in order to get to some of those further flung 
areas of the world or of the galaxy. How will upgrading work? Are you going to have a system where it's possible to keep upgrading and adding on just by experience that you gain through gameplay? Are you also going to have an in-out purchase system? We are going to have uh, some in-app purchases. The game's going to be free-to-play. A big reason we want to do that is to make it as accessible initially to everyone as possible. Uh, Placing a a bit of a payment up front um, creates an extra barrier towards getting people into the universe, which we don't really like. So we want it to be free. The we're currently experimenting internally with some different ways of doing the economy. And so the hope is that we'll be able to get something. uh, And we've seen this a little bit with some uh, other games currently on the market where someone who's very invested uh, can spend time and be, be clever in the game and never have to pay a dime. Whereas someone else, maybe they have a little bit less time, but they still want to experience everything and they can provide some money to us. Some games have these options where you can spend, I don't know, $20 or $30 and you basically unlock every capability in the game. So just imagining in a Star Trek game, maybe you you unlock unlimited dilithium or you unlock the ability to go warp nine as long as you want or something like that. How do you feel about this as a game creator when you're trying to create a story that's going to challenge and entertain players? Do you do you like the idea of giving people that option if they want it? Or does that somehow feel like it weakens the experience and the creative process for you as a designer? You know, it's always a, a balance. The first thing as a game designer is what's the most fun for the player. And we don't want people to be able to sort of pay their way out of having fun, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Right. So we still want the game to be engaging and interesting and challenging, even if you've decided to to make an in-app purchase. And so there's always a a way a balance there and an attempt to create the game such that not only is it something where you don't have to pay in order to do very well but that you if you pay if you do decide to to make an in-app purchase that it doesn't decrease your fun value or it doesn't uh, eliminate some challenge in the game that's actually really fun so I'm sorry, it's a little bit of a nebulous answer there um, because no, the, it was the well. It was details. a question with no, you know, right or wrong answer. I was curious because I'm a creative professional myself, and I was curious how you saw that as a creative and, and as a developer because I I personally enjoy playing my way through games, and I don't want to have everything handed to me. But then again, I've played some games where. It was so difficult that it almost felt like it was set up so that, you know, I, I would have to unlock stuff in order to really progress through the game. Yeah, I we we never want it to be a situation where it really feels like a roadblock that you have to provide money to to get over. 
Mm-hmm. What we try to do is we try to make it so that there's maybe some more options for players, maybe a particular uh, ship upgrade is available for a little bit of the uh, a little bit of the real money currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I said, one of the one of the goals that we're having with the economy right now is to make it so that some effort in the game and some time in the game can get you to the same place as someone who's who's um, decided to make an in-app purchase. Can you be creative with the economy? So, for example, if you're playing as Riker, every time you step over the back of a chair instead of sitting down <laughs> in it properly, you get some kind of bonus points that you can then use for upgrades. We we have we have had long discussions in the office about how we can get an appropriate chair sitting simulator into the game. Oh wow! Uh, but it's but it's gonna be. Unfortunately, that's such a specific system that would really only be used by Riker that uh, <laughs> right. that we've decided that we were going to avoid maybe that specific feature. All right. Are you going to have barrel rolls with Jordy? <laughs> um, so one thing that that's, uh, I think maybe there's a little insight into the into how we're constructing the game is that the the character is going to take on the role of a captain with their own ship. Uh-huh. And uh, your as you're collecting your crew and creating your away team from across the timelines, those are going to be the all these characters that we're talking about, all of your favorite you know, canon characters. Uh, so they'll okay. all have some special ability associated with them. So the canon characters are going to appear in the game? They are. They definitely okay, are. Cool. Very cool. Well, let me ask you about mobile focus here because we're talking about in-app purchases a bit. And one thing that really bums me out about Star Trek Online is that in order to play it, first of all, I'd have to be at my desktop. Second of all, I'd have to be on a Windows PC, really. They do have a Mac version right now. I have not been able to get it to run very well on my machine. And that's a pretty new thing anyway. For most of the years, it's been windows and sit at your desk and make sure you've got a good graphics card. But here you guys are going to be on the web, playing the browser, also iPad, iPhone, Android, and Facebook as well. Is that what I understand? Yeah, that's that's right. And that's because we want it to be as available as possible. We want uh, longstanding Star Trek fans to be able to come into the game easily, and we want new fans to be able to discover uh, this game and Star Trek easily as well. So how important was it? I mean, the discoverability, I understand for sure. Now, you guys are on iOS and Android, so that plays into the discoverability as well. How important is it to you when you're creating any type of game these days to make sure you have a mobile focus? I'd say that for most of the, and this is a sort of general uh, games question, but mm-hmm. in general, it's pretty important to be on uh, the mobile devices nowadays. Uh, I'll, that's sort of where people are playing a lot of the games. You see a lot of people playing games on their iPads and on their iPhones and on their Android tablets and their Android phones. Uh, and sort of more and more people 
playing on those devices. Uh, maybe not so much le- fewer people playing mm-hmm. on web and and Facebook. I think that those numbers are still very good, but just more and more people are sort of coming into the gaming world via the device that's in their pocket or in their backpack. Yeah, yeah. I think to expand on my question, because I'm sure some people are listening and saying, Chris, that is an obvious question. Why would you even ask that? I think what I'm getting at more is is making sure that the gameplay experience is consistent across all those as well, because we have games like SimCity, for example, a game I've played for years and years, where there is an iPad version, but that's not the same experience at all as playing SimCity on your desktop computer. But you're creating the Star Trek Timelines game so that whether you're playing in the browser on Facebook, on iPad, on iPhone, on Android, it's the same game, right? You're getting the same experience. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the nice thing about having this focus from the very start of the development cycle is we can say, all right, we know we're doing all of these things. We're going to make sure that you can just access it from wherever you are. And that's sort of a convenience or accessibility point is that the character that you're playing as is going to be the same regardless of how you're accessing it. Mm. Now, obviously, depending on on how you're you're getting into the game, the interface is going to be a little bit different. You might use slightly different gestural controls in order to actually navigate around the galaxy or to interact with the game. But all of the features will be the same across all of them. And as I said, the, the data will be the same. Again, there's another, there's another <laughs> word that's, that's so loaded. There you um, go with lore and B4 and data. The data yeah, is the I, same. I, I cannot get away from those androids. <laughs> uh, the, but all, all of that, all, you know, your character will be, will be the same across everything. And I think this is, this is actually kind of a cool thing because it means that if you want to play for five minutes on your phone while you're waiting for the train and then uh, when you get home, you want to play for another 15 minutes on your computer, mm-hmm. that's great. You can do that. Okay, so that's what I was going to ask you next. And and so you've answered that is that I can move from my iPad to my iPhone to my Mac. And of course, PC people can do this with their browsers as well. And I can just pick up my game, right? It's To borrow a phrase from Apple's recent keynote, it's like a handoff, right? That I I can be playing in one place and then I can just pick up somewhere else and I'm still in my... Now, I don't necessarily mean that like if I'm flying next to a planet and I quickly turn off my iPhone and I turn on my computer, well, there I'm going to be flying next to that planet. I don't mean that, but, but I'm going to be seeing my game position and status synced across different platforms. Yep, absolutely. Good. The reason we're able to do some of that syncing is because it is uh, an online game. So you, in order to travel around and do that, you do need a connection to the internet. Now, that's the nice thing is that's pretty prevalent uh, for most places at most times now. Uh, So that's, that's pretty seamless uh, transition, but that's the way that we're able to make sure that all of everything synced up is uh, because it's happening online. Right. So instead of using something like iCloud to sync back and forth, I know you guys developed your own platform called Thorium. Is it using that to to sync the data between 
yeah, different absolutely. devices. Okay. How does Thorium work? What are the, the other benefits of that for the player? Well, obviously, everything is still developing. Uh, you know, we're always in a state of of continuing to improve upon everything that we're doing. But the eventual hope is that with Thorium, we'll be able to allow players to sync up some of their information across games. Uh, okay. So across the games that we've developed, um, have some greater connection uh, between them. So maybe, <laughs> I'm kidding here, maybe you can go into Game of Thrones, but you can take an away team in there and, and use your phasers? Uh, may, maybe not quite <laughs> like that. Uh, but I think that uh, a lot of people, if they form an uh, alliance in Game of Thrones Ascent, would like to be able to keep some of those connections and some of the same friends mm-hmm. in uh, Star Trek timelines. Okay, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't know if I can promise that particular feature uh, for Star Trek timelines upon launch, but that's sure. certainly part of the backend system that we're thinking about. Okay, so that's kind of the vision you have where it might go. Yeah, and and I see that road. as a big as a big benefit for the for players, uh, of course. Uh, is that you know being able to be with your friends wherever in whatever game experience you're in is is kind of great. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, let me ask you also about the creative team. Now you're the lead game designer. Who else is working on the team, and what's this process like to create the game? Well, uh, any any game development team needs many people on it. Uh, obviously engineers and uh, artists and uh, production staff and QA folks. So we have all of that at the Disruptor Beam. And we've got pretty good experience here, uh, not only with Game of Thrones Ascent, from which we've learned a lot of of good things that we're going to be applying to Star Trek timelines, but also we have a pretty good history of... Uh, games across a number of different platforms and uh, a number of different sort of levels of games, MMOs and AAA console titles and and all that good stuff. Very cool. So it sounds like you have quite an experienced team and, and it sounds like a kind of a big team behind this. Uh, the You know, our, our company is not uh, the hugest company. In, in the world is, is what I'd say. We're at a size where we're, we're continuing to grow, which is fantastic. We're continuing to, to bring in uh, talent to do everything that we want to be doing. But we're also very startup-minded, I, guess, I guess I would say. We're mm-hmm. still trying to be as agile and as scrappy as we possibly can be, even as we continue to, to grow our team. Well, as your logo proves, you don't have to be the biggest company when you have a monkey with a phaser because <laughs> you can fend off anything that way, right? Uh, yeah, well, I believe it may, in fact, not be a phaser. I may, I think it, the, the logo is, in fact, maybe a disruptor gun. It is. You're right. So, well, but we're talking about Star Trek, so I have to keep it in there. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. it's... I, I would I call I, it a ray gun. It, it may, in fact, be a ray gun. I, yeah. I don't know if the monkey has used uh, Klingon or Romulan technology to technically make <laughs> it into a disruptor. Okay, I'm not sure. All right. 
Well, last thing here, what's next for Timelines? I know you guys are going to be at the Boston Convention, which is coming up very, very shortly here. And then you're going to have other previews at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas and beyond that. So what's coming up next? What's the anticipated development cycle and release for the game? When will people be able to actually get their hands on Timelines? Oof, I don't know if I can actually answer that question. Um, the the real answer is that when it's ready is when people will be able to play it. Uh, and we want to make sure that it's really good before uh, we release it fully into the wild. But we're going, as you said, we're going to the Star Trek convention in Boston and in Las Vegas and in London as well. And really the big purpose of all of those is to hear from fans and to interact with fans and get all of their feedback and ideas on whatever we're showing them. We're going to, at, at all of those, we'll be showing the latest and greatest from the game, uh, what, what the current state is. And that's always an evolving process. It's always a process that, involve, that continues to change and grow and improve. Uh, but the big thing that is that we want to not only get our some of our ideas out there and get the reactions to them, but we also want to hear what the fans want uh, from the game. And in fact, that's not just a convention-based thing. I would encourage everyone to go to the Disruptor Beam website, uh, disruptorbeam.com, and you can join our forums there and give your ideas. We have questions uh that will that actually come from the development team and things that we're wondering uh and you can give responses to that and i promise you that we are actually paying attention to all of that we're 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 reading the posts on our on our forums and uh on our facebook page we're and we're incorporating all of those suggestions into our thinking well, on your website, you have forums, as you mentioned. You also have a bridge crew. What is the bridge crew? So the bridge crew is sort of our early access or early benefits program, where if you're signing up for the bridge crew, you'll get a special forum title. And eventually when the game comes out, you'll also be getting an item in the game for just for signing up. A monkey with a disruptor? Uh, I believe the <laughs> item is a Tribble, in fact. Okay, all right. Well, that's a great item because before you know it, you'll have a hundred of them. <laughs> yes, perhaps. It's the bonus that keeps on giving, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you just need to be careful, maybe find some predators to keep the population down. Yeah, true. All right, excellent. So that's where people can find out, disruptorbeam.com and on Facebook. So, wow, looking forward to the game and, and seeing how it plays out. Is there going to be a beta program? Is that what the bridge crew is? Or is there going to be something before that early game access, sort of like a public beta? That's still something we're working out. Certainly, we want to have some beta program and folks who are signed up for the bridge crew are going to be folks we're looking at and listening to early on for that sort of thing. 
But as of right now, since, since uh, we, we're still developing the game, we haven't given too much thought about exactly when we're going to have a, a, a pre-release or a beta program. All right. Well, I'll be keeping my eyes open for it because I have been waiting for a game where I can really explore in the style that you guys are doing that I can do on my iPad because for me these days to play games, I cannot sit down with my computer or a console or anything for very long, but I always have my iPad with me. So this is really exciting to me. Yeah, that's that's perfect. That's uh, exactly what we want to be able to enable is uh your your playing a star trek game you 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 personally and everyone listening to this that's wonderful we'll get the whole fleet together that's what we'll do at trek fm we'll get all the hosts together and we'll go explore the galaxy yeah and i i hope that uh we'll be able to show some images some preliminary images from the game soonish uh, you know, we're working hard on it. So if you're in a Boston area and come to Star Trek Boston, you might get a first look at that stuff. But hopefully we'll be able to share some things in not too long as well. Well, Las Vegas will be here before you know it. And there will be so many people there. So that's going to be a great venue for you guys. Well, Tim, thanks for joining me tonight. I see the cadet was quite quiet there, as it turns out. So hopefully she's sleeping soundly now. And what if people want to find you? Are you on Twitter? Are you around? You know, I am mostly not on Twitter. Uh, really, the uh, if they want to find me personally, honestly, the best way is to uh, contact us through our forums. And if they have some specific question, our lovely and excellent player support team will actually get that directly to me. Okay, cool. So disruptorbeam.com slash forums slash STT. That's the Star Trek Timelines area. Well, thanks again, Tim. Looking forward to the game. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited that I was able to talk about it. Well, there's the lowdown on Star Trek Timelines. I'm really looking forward to the game coming out. I love playing these games on my iPad, and I'm looking for a new one down the road. And so when Timelines comes around, I'm going to be all set for that. I hope you enjoyed learning about the game with Tim today, but this is just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about here on the network over the past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. I mean, like, like it's, it's been talked about, you know, by Shatner that he's like, oh, I wanted to have the Enterprise find God or something like that. Well, how does that work? Yeah, well, right. You know, and it's like, well, it doesn't work the way you're doing it in this movie. Earl Grey. What if it was like a geeky tween boy? Data, Data, where are you? <laughs> They're just like, shut that off. <laughs> Mr. Data, I've got a problem. The Ready Room. When they finally do get rid of Decker, it's on Kirk's personal authority as captain of the Enterprise. And like, it seems to me if you're, say, a captain in the U.S. Navy and an admiral takes command of your ship, you can't just, like, get rid of him because of your personal authority as captain of the ship. The orb. And, and again, it's, it's something, as you know, as we said before, the system is not set up to allow him to express that idea in any other way. But by the spectacle of this trial, which would presumably be impossible to hide, it is a way for him to 
express this alternate viewpoint that maybe the the morality of his society is uh, is under threat. To the journey. We are here to talk to you about a very heavy-handed topic. This is kind of a dark area for us. No, I'm just kidding. We're talking about death and Voyager. Commentary, Trek stars. When they fall out the pod people, and they say, why, what year is it? And Data says, why, it's the Earth year 2364. I fell off my chair 47 <laughs> times. He's like, they just put the, oh, my, okay, okay. Warp 5. Archer doesn't close himself off to any possibility. He takes the evidence and comes to the best choice that he can. And that's not always easy for anyone, but that's the kind of person that Degra is, too. Melodic Treks. In fact, it had two versions of the theme, one which ran from seasons one to three, and one which ran from season four onwards. Now, some people prefer the first music with the poignancy of the lone trumpet, others prefer the second incarnation. Continuing Mission. If we were to sort of able to rewrite the canon, the uniforms we've got, they were the uniforms in the middle of Enterprise and TOS. But because they were designed during a time when peace wasn't as prosperous as it is in the original series, the uniforms did have a bit more of a militaristic look to them. Literary Treks. You know what I love about comics, though, sometimes, is what happened here in this panel with Beverly and Troy Clearly, Troy's stunt double wandered into the scene. I was going to say, is that Troy? (laughs) (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find them pretty much anywhere you get your favorite podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, Swell. We're also on BlackBerry. We're on SoundCloud. We're all over the place. And just look up Trek.fm or the name of the show you want to listen to. And you'll find us there. And also, you can go to our website and you can stream these shows from the pages. And you can grab the RSS link and pop that into your favorite third-party podcast application, like Instacast or Downcast or whatever it is that you love. Now, I would love to hear from you about today's show. Find out what you think about Star Trek timelines or anything else about the Star Trek universe. Also, if you know of independent films and productions or games or audio dramas that you'd like for me to cover here on the show, drop me a line. If I haven't heard of them, I will get in touch with them and see if we can get them on here to talk and learn more about what they're creating. There are a lot of different ways to get in touch with me and the network. You can find me on Twitter. My username is C. Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash C. Brian Jones. And then the network is on Twitter. Our username there is TrekFM. A lot of us tweet from that account and we sign our tweets with our initials. So if you see CJ, that would be me. You can also find the network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. We're on Google+, Plus, where we have a community. Just search G Plus Communities for Trek FM and you'll find us. We also have forums at trek.fm slash forums. Our contact form is trek.fm slash contact, and that'll come to me by email. Just choose to send to a show and choose continuing mission. And you can even send us a voicemail through the website. So I'd love to hear from you and know what you think about the show and about Star Trek. If you're in iTunes or on Stitcher, we would love for you to leave us a review. You can leave us a star rating in iTunes and a written review and also written reviews on Stitcher. And that helps other people find the show as they're looking for Star Trek podcasts. And we love to hear from you as well. Hear your thoughts on the show there. 
If you'd like to find me on some other shows around the network, I do a lot of them, so I'll give you a quick rundown of what those are. Matthew Rushing and I do The Orb together, which is all about Deep Space Nine. I also do a show called Warp 5, which is all about Enterprise. It's very much like The Orb. I also do The Ready Room with hosts from all around the network every week. We talk about news and all five live-action Star Trek series on there. There is also Hyper Channel, which is Star Trek news. That's a daily show. And I do a show called Matterstream, which is about the world inspired by Star Trek. So look for those. If you subscribe to the Trek FM Complete Master Feed, by the way, you can find those shows and all the other shows from all the other hosts on the network in one place. It's a really great way to sample what we're talking about and see which shows are your favorites and which ones you'd like to subscribe to individually or just keep getting them from the master feed. Before I let you go, I would like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, and that is Audible.com. Audible is the best source for audiobooks that you'll find anywhere. They have more than 150,000 titles for you to choose from right now, and they add hundreds of new titles every single week. That includes new releases, bestsellers, classics, lots of great Star Trek books as well, like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, which are three of my favorites. They have books across all genres. I've been using Audible for 14 years myself. I've got hundreds of books in my library. So it's a really great service that I know you're going to love as well. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. All you need to do is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up. Pick the book you want. And if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep that book. But trust me, If you love podcasts and you love reading, you're really going to love Audible. And when you support Audible by trying them out, you're supporting us as well. In fact, if just one of you tries out Audible, we receive money from them that almost covers the cost of hosting and distributing continuing mission for an entire month. So this one little act on your part really does help us out here at Trek FM. So I hope you'll check it out. Get that free book. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Trek FM, and we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network, and we thank you for supporting Audible. And I also thank you for listening today, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tim. I hope you'll try out Timelines when it comes out, and if you're going to be at the Boston Convention this weekend, be sure to check out the preview that they have there, or Star Trek Las Vegas coming up at the end of July. It'll be really cool to see what they have in the works. So thanks again for listening today, everyone. Join me again next time on this continuing mission, and let's see what's out there. <laughs>